At the outset, nothing in this podcast should be interpreted as legal advice. Further, the views or opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent those of the university. Please email campbelllawreporter at email.campbell.edu for any media inquiries and third-party distributions. Welcome to the Campbell Law Reporter Podcast. This legal podcast strives to expand Campbell University's mission to lead with purpose by reporting with purpose. We hope to breathe new life into the dusty reporters on the shelves by reporting the content through captivating discussions. Our mission is to provide current and interesting reporting on legal topics affecting today's professionals. Listeners can expect to hear from various hosts throughout the year. everyone. My name is Jenna Nichols, and today I'm speaking with Tantiana Terry. Now, Miss Terry graduated Campbell Law in 2019, passed the NC Bar, and now practices at Hendrick Gardner. However, today I'm speaking with her about the Social Justice Clinic and how her experiences shaped her to lead with purpose by leading by example for others to follow. My hopes is today that this discussion with Miss Terry will inspire others to seek change in our communities to better serve our clients. The Social Justice Clinic was actually Lexis Sanders. Had the, oh, she's a new last name, now she just got married. I'm going to butcher it, so I'm not even going to try. But it was Lexis's idea. She, in true fashion to our millennial generation, got on Facebook. Kind of, I think she wanted something that was tangible, that the school could do, that could impact the students, and they just wasn't complaining or pontificating. She wanted a real thing that could really help people. And I reached out to Lexis because I had known her before I graduated and just said, hey, look, I'm here. If you need anything, I had actually written a few proposals to the administration when I was a supervisor at NC State. So I told her, you know, I have some experience. I can help you out if you want. She was fully game. And we just kind of started working on it together. Took maybe about a week. Lexis was having some meetings with the dean to kind of figure out how we should target this thing. And then she and I drafted and redrafted. And then she presented it to the dean, to which she did a fantastic job. And he very much so liked and supported the idea. At this stage, what has happened is that Lexis has gotten with uh, Dean of Pro Bono Opportunities, Student Opportunities, excuse me, no, I said right, Dean of Pro Bono Opportunities in Student Life, Evan Grant, and they have made a social justice project. So with that project, it was easier to make a project that fast. The clinic obviously is going to require a lot more input, a lot more thought, and just overall a lot more planning. So the dean fully supports the idea. He is very much behind it. He is going to present it to the administration. As you know, COVID-19 has just knocked our world upside down. So the administration is very much preoccupied with that and making sure y'all can attend school safely and that y'all can get your credits to graduate. But aside from that, he said probably more towards the end of the fall, he'll have a more concrete answer about what we can do with the clinic when and if it can happen. So if the clinic can happen, which I hope it does, what would be your role as a lawyer for the clinic? So with my involvement, I would be as involved as Campbell would have me. If they asked me to just come in every week and help them with the case, I'd do that. If they asked me to just come talk to some students, I'd do that. If they asked me to help them run the dog all day, right, I would do that. There was a lot of communication amongst your classmates about, I think, needing a place to channel passionate, good energy so they could get in some good trouble, as the late great John Lewis said. So I thought, I very much supported Lexus's idea because I thought the clinic would be a tremendous way to let some future lawyers 
begin to get into good trouble. And if I could be of assistance to that in any way, I would love to. So there were two different avenues that I really liked that I created with Lexus. One being for three L's to get their three, or your practice license and be able to do real lawyer things with another attorney. For two L's who were taking the class as an elective, it would allow them to kind of come up with policy ideas. I think a lot of times for our generation, we are all very loud. We are all very assertive with our ideas. And sometimes that's met with resistance, right, from generations that have come before us. So I think figuring out ways for those students who do want to go into politics, who do want to become lobbyists, you know, just figuring out what is the best way for me to just change the law. Because in law school, you know, the first year you just finished it. The first year is about learning the law. How do I even do this thing? Second year, you are super ignited and passionate. You want to do these great things, but you got to kind of figure out how to do it. So just having students sit down and say, wow, this law that's on the books in North Carolina is disparately impacting, right? A group of people. How can we best go about bringing this to the whomever's attention, whoever that may be, and fixing it? Because people shouldn't be affected in different ways by laws. You kind of already tapped on it. But beyond blatant racism, what factors do you see as a hindrance for the success of social change and roadblocks is putting our project at a disadvantage? There are so many. That, <laughs> since that question, I was just like, ooh, that could take three hours. For me, I just very much feel a huge issue, obviously beyond race, is generational divide. I think that the approach that we as millennials take is one that most people who were trying to reach, those who are generations before us, are a little resistant to. So for me, I just think there's a very big generational divide. And I have always been the kind of person who would love to give people the benefit of the doubt if I can, who would like to assume that humanity is not inherently evil. We have seen some contrary stuff to this otherwise over the course of this quarantine. But to me, evil people are going to be evil people. They were born that way. Most of them, you know, you just cannot change and you have to pray for them. But there are some who are misguided. I want to reach those misguided folks. There are some who are just ignorant. I want to reach those ignorant folks. And there are people who just don't know, and not in an ignorant sort of way, but who just like flat out, I have never seen a person of a different color. I have never encountered somebody who speaks a different language. And that tends to be viewed as negative, right? But you kind of can't help where your parents choose to raise you and where yeah. you grow up. So People who are misguided, ignorant, who just are uneducated about the topics, people who are open are the types of folks that I would like to reach, those that I am willing, you know, in my early lawyer career and my coaching career, if I end up in academia, who I'm willing to reach out to and help. And it's so great to me that I know there's a lot of stuff that happens with the administration. And as a student, I felt like it was a big, bad administration, too. But being on the other side of things, you know, building relationships with folks like Dean Leonard, Dean Bridges, Dean Tilly, they're all good people. There are a lot of folks at Campbell who are really good people who are just trying to do the very best that they absolutely can do. And I love that they value me enough as a person to help guide them to make the best decisions for you all. And that's all we want for Campbell to start as a community where everyone can feel welcome, everyone can feel heard, and people can channel their passionate energy into good trouble. And after we do it at Campbell, we can take it to Raleigh. We can take it to the surrounding cities in the Triangle. We can get to the rest of North Carolina. So that's always been my goal for Campbell. And I'm so excited that this clinic kind of has been the catalyst for figuring out how we can best do that at the small law school in Raleigh that most of the others, you know, people don't really think about. Yeah. And what do you suggest 
other lawyers in the community who want to help out, avenues that they can do to help out with the project or help out in a similar capacity. So I think a lot of that is going to be left up to the administration for sure, just to figure out, like, for example, when um, we were talking about the clinic, I very much recommended that they find someone who is a practicing attorney whose entire career is spent in civil rights law, right? You want somebody who has been dealing with those issues regularly, who understands them at a really basic and heightened level and can articulate that to the students. That's hard. A lot of folks don't go into that area of law and most who do aren't kind of in our close-knit Raleigh Triangle area. A lot of them, you know, go on and they're in Charlotte or another bigger city. So for attorneys who want to get involved, I would say you can always reach out to me because I can forward that information to the dean and then he can take it to the administration. Reaching out to Lexis, because Lexis, I think, is making some contacts of her own. And I just told her to keep a list, quite honestly, because you can never have too much help. And like Lexis and I were talking in the very beginning, girl, it was kind of like, you know, Lexis, this is a great, fantastic idea. You've done something tremendous here. It could be massive, right? You could get one small case that you think is one isolated incident of disparate treatment or discrimination that could turn into a whole class action, right? So there is, it could become so much that all hands are kind of going to need to be on that. Yeah. And how is it balancing a full-time job and working with the community in this clinic and your other avenues of volunteering? Oh, that's a great question because I did not do it really well when I initially passed the bar. So my boss is fantastic. Let's start there. Trisha Shields, who is running for the North Carolina Court of Appeals, she's also a trial ad professor at Campbell. She is my direct supervisor, practice partner attorney for my practice at Hedrick Gardner. Trisha very much so is just as passionate about these kinds of issues that I am. So anytime I'm involved in one, she is one, not surprised. And two, she's like, okay, little crazy girl who just doesn't sleep. Where are you going? How long are you going to be there? All those types of things. So having a supportive uh, boss, I think is the first step, and especially with my coaching and all that. Trisha's just been very supportive from the beginning. Starting there and then having a supportive family. So my husband understands that I am not someone who can just have 24 hours in the day to do nothing with, right? So he knows that I kind of like to channel stuff into about 17 hours of the day. And for me, you know, growing up, my mom always taught me that, you know, you can work hard and have all these talents in the world. And you should, right? You should work hard and be proud of whatever you accomplish. But it all kind of means nothing if you aren't using those talents for the people who cannot speak for themselves. So as much as I love working in my fantastic firm, Hedrick Gardner is one of the best firms in the world to me. And they are a firm that very much supports the kinds of issues that I have been, you know, addressing with Lexus with the clinic. But for me, the kinds of folks who represent, you know, usually don't fall into those different groups. And the clinic gives me an opportunity to really serve and be a servant leader because I think sometimes we miss that piece. You know, when you're so focused on your career and trying to kickstart your legal career, you get a little distracted from the reason that you did it and the folks who need you. So it allows me, and that's kind of why I love coaching too, it allows me to just go be a servant leader and put myself in a position that is not my career to help either somebody else become the best that they can be or to help somebody get the justice they deserve. And you make some really good points about leading with a servant's mind. And do you feel like that is how we need to provide for the community as lawyers? For sure. So a uh, small tidbit about me, I, my whole life, I thought I was going to be a district attorney. Literally, it was nothing else that I wanted to do. I was doing all types of team court. was never on the defense attorney side, always on the prosecutor side. 
I had gone to law camps, always on the prosecutor side. I told you I interned at the DA's office that summer before my 3 year. years. So for me, that is how I thought I was going to, you know, have my legal career start, and that was going to be my form of servant leadership. Things changed because with my time on the mock trial team, you know, what I was able to do with some of my friends, you know, all the successes that we had, I realized that I had other passions. And that is not to say, right, you, you've only given me one life. And with that one life, you should do, you know, what you want to do. It's just that for me, I think God, I'm a firm believer, you know, in Proverbs, that God gives us all a purpose. It may take you 10 years to figure out your purpose. It may take 30. Hopefully it only takes 20. You figure it out in undergrad. But once you figure it out, it is my belief that it's God's expectation that you will live in that purpose. So for me, uh, before I even got to Campbell Law, I very much felt like my purpose was to help others. Didn't quite know how to channel that. Once I got on the mock trial team and I began to talk with Dean Tilly, you know, he was very just influential in how I directed my career. I realized that being a litigator, being a trial lawyer was my purpose. That's how I'm going to help people. How can I best do that so that God's purpose is fulfilled, right? And for me, that falls into two buckets. First, making other trial lawyers who have a similar dream that I do to help people. So all the students that I coach, a lot of them want to do the same thing. So I'm going to give you all the skills that it took me two years to learn that you can learn in 20 minutes so you can best help other people. And then for me personally, the bucket is I have to be doing pro bono work. I have to be doing work like the clinic. I have to be taking cases where I'm doing something, yes, because I'm an attorney, but because somebody's been wronged here and they are either not being treated fairly or ignored. And I'm never going to stand for that. I think God put me on this earth because I am loud and I am fearless. So I will always take the kinds of cases that appear unwinnable. Ones that most lawyers would say, nope, not doing it. You're probably right, but we probably won't win. I, I can't live that way. So long term for me, that's how I see my career, whether that's in the DA's office, whether it's as a defense attorney, whether it's in the civil context. I want to take the kinds of cases that really appear unwinnable and show people if you work hard, if you fight, you know, you can really help people use the law to their advantage. Very much so, you know, how Thurgood Marshall did it, you know, back in the 60s and the 50s, too. That's where I got this idea that he just kick-started his law career, the whole legal profession that he had, with I am going to dismantle segregation. And it was just like, how do I go about that? What, how do I start that? Who am I ultimately helping, right? Keeping that goal in mind. And his end game was, I'm not just helping little black boys and girls. I'm helping humanity. So how do I go about getting to the end game of helping humanity? Do you see a particular practice area that would be more helpful? That? Yeah, yeah. 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 Over another? Yes. So I am very passionate about two different areas that I think would allow that. That's civil rights law. So dealing with I say three, all those types of issues that focus on people's civil rights being violated. But then also an area that people oftentimes, I think, forget is employment law. So I took a class with Professor Essary. She's bees knees, love her so much. She's also my client counseling coach. Um, we won Worlds along with John Powell. She taught me employment discrimination. And I had just no idea what was going on in the employment context and what people were suffering with at their jobs. So for me, I realized everybody has the right, so to speak, to a living. Right. You should be able to go work wherever as long as you're qualified and to be discriminated against based upon your race, to be just subjected to hostile work environment, sexual harassment or quid pro quo sexual harassment is unacceptable. So for me, 
I think because people think they have to just take whatever is handed to them in an employment context because they have to survive. A lot of people get marginalized in that way. And those two areas for me are probably going to be the start. So it'll be one of those, you know, after this, because, you know, your first of it, you don't know this because you haven't started yet. But when you start, you're just trying to, you're kind of like a sponge. You're trying to absorb all this legal knowledge from all the people around you who you think are really good at it. But I think after about three years is a good time to say, okay, this is my career. How do I want to do this? How am I going to go about it? Awesome. And I feel like we have touched on a lot of the important aspects of the interview, but the most important, how we end every podcast is what does leading with purpose mean to you? And I know you've already touched on it, but could you give us like another tidbit for it? Sure thing. So for me, leading with purpose, I'm a big bucket person because it helps me understand my own thoughts. So I think it helps other people. So leading with purpose, I think you focus on the two words in there that fall in different buckets, leading and purpose. So I am somebody who, like I told you, I very much so try to understand my purpose at an early age. And that was in a culmination of two different things, me trying to figure out how to best live my life and provide for my family. And also me trying to become a better Christian and get closer to God, right? So with those two things in mind, God's pretty clear, you know, in the Bible about purpose and that he created all of us and we are all different in his eyes and he has a different purpose for us all here, but it's your purpose. Nobody else can infiltrate that. It's your thing. So for me, first you have to figure out your purpose. What is your point here on this earth? What do you need to be doing? Why are you here? When you look in the mirror every day, who are you and what are you supposed to be doing today? And after you figure out your purpose, how do I lead with that purpose? So to me, to be a good leader, you have to first figure out how to be a good follower. Every leader I've met in my life who has either skipped levels, right, or just jumped ship to president after being a member has done it horribly because they don't really understand the communication aspect, right? To be able to be an effective leader, people have to trust you and they have to be able to communicate with you. Both of those things come with relatability. I have to talk to you in a way that you best receive it. And if you know, we're on a team, like, and I'm your coach, it's you, it's the girl next to you, it's the guy on the left of you. Each of you have different ways to communicate and different ways that you can be related with. So if I can't relate to you and communicate with you, you won't let me be with you. Once I figure out how to lead whomever it is I'm trying to lead, then you can lead with your purpose. So starting with your purpose, figuring out what is it I'm supposed to be doing on this earth? How do I go about that? And how am I going to lead others with that purpose? Leading can be representation. For me, I'm the first black person to win the top gun about trial competition. And for me, leading in that aspect was, oh my God, I cannot fail the ball. Like I'm the first African-American person to win a top gun. I have to pass the ball because for the next 20 years or 30 years or 40 years, it's going to be the first black person won but they didn't pass the bar. So for me, that leading was, I have to lead by example. I have to do what you have to do. There are ways to lead by representation. So when you become the first woman in a law firm, you know, Trisha has shared stories with me about how early on in her legal career, there were not that many women. You're walking in there and you're the first woman. If you are the first or the only African-American in a law firm, you're the first or the only Asian-American in wherever you work, right? In a law firm or wherever, you have to lead by representation in that right because you are the representative kind of for good or bad you know i don't necessarily agree with that and there's a lot of aspects but 
you are the representative in that way for yourself. But for me, I tend to feel like I'm the representative for my entire race, right? So leading can come in many ways. I tend to want to lead by example. But if you're going to lead with purpose, first you got to know your purpose. And if you are lost, nobody's going to be able to follow you because you are lost. Thank you for listening to the Campbell Law Reporter podcast. We look forward to you joining us every other Wednesday at 7 a.m. for a new episode, which can be accessed through your preferred podcasting listening platform.